Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. What's up, everybody? I'm your friend Raj. And God, I'm so pumped for uh, this week's episode uh, with Mr. John Roman. Um, God, this is probably one of the most energetic episodes, uh, just both of us. Uh, John is an accomplished speaker, podcast host, uh, and he is the founder of the Front Row Foundation, a charity that was established back in 2005 uh, that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are going through life-threatening illnesses. Um, so he pretty much empowers these individuals to quote unquote, live in, live life in the front row, uh, and provides them with a front row experience at the live event of their dream. So whether that's a concert, um, it doesn't matter. He, uh, he, he gives those types of experiences for people. And that was really almost, if you think about it, it's almost like make a wish meets Tony Robbins. Um, uh, that's how he explained it, at least. And I, what I love most about John is that he doesn't just embody this in his foundation. He embodies this in his life, this idea of living life in the front row and the art of moment making, which is actually covered in his book, The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. It's available on Amazon. Highly recommended. Amazing, amazing, amazing book. Um, but in general, the art of moment making, which is creating moments to remember, and intentionally doing so and, and living your life as if through a lens that that makes that practice easier is something that John embodies. And throughout the entire episode, he just drops so many nuggets of wisdom uh, from his story, from the people he learns from in the Front Row Foundation to just where he is in his own life and, and, and things that are priorities to him and the new, uh, the new sort of venture he's working on just Front Row Dads. Uh, like he just, he had so much to share and I'm grateful and super excited to share this episode with all of you because throughout the entire episode, my notes, I I could not stop taking notes. Um, it was just filled with energy, excitement, and, um, a lot of awesomeness. So, uh, super excited to get this episode out to you guys. And we've provided all the links on the page to where you can learn more about the Front Row Foundation and, uh, and what John is up to and is, and we'll get more about his book. But, uh, so before we jump into the episode, as always guys, give us some love. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, subscribe to us, uh, on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, wherever you love to listen to us and email me personally, uh, chief brewer at Java press with an or javapress.com. Java press has an E at the end. Uh, maybe that's a story for another day because I feel like I've just been repeating that again and again and again. Uh, but uh, yes, get in touch with me. I want to know what you guys like, don't like. Uh, let me know who you want to hear from. Uh, we've had some amazing guests coming up and we've had some amazing guests in the past. So always open to uh, to bring it on people that uh, the audience wants to hear from. So anyways, uh, without further ado, uh, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. John Roman.
Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj, and here I am sitting uh, with a splendid gentleman, Mr. John Roman. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm awesome. Super pumped to have you here, man. I've been following your stuff for a while, so it's really, I'm grateful to, to pick your brain on all things Stay Grounded. Well, this would be fun. I'm I'm pumped for these types of conversations, and I'm grateful. You know, this is uh, I'm grateful to meet new people, you and everybody that uh, we're going to be talking with today. So this is a a celebration of new friends. Absolutely, I love that. Well, let's dive into it, man. Um, obviously, I already uh, dove into your your bio on on uh, before the show started, but I'm particularly curious. You describe yourself, uh, your superpower as. Um, really uh, bringing out the art of moment making. And mm-hmm. I want you uh, to at least explain what does moment making actually mean to you? Yeah. Because for me, it might, it means something a little different. Um, but I'm really curious to hear just your take on uh, why do you think it's important to uh, live in moments as opposed to daily or weekly or yearly? Um, I'm really curious. Well, I, I think that our, our whole lives are just made up of a series of moments. And if we want to live an amazing life, we string together some amazing years, which are made up of months. And those are of days and those are of hours and those are of, of moments, you know, and every moment we make these choices about how we're going to appreciate that moment, create that moment, amplify that moment, any, any way that we want to approach the here and the now ultimately writes the stories of our lives. And I remember going back to when I was a kid, you know, probably eight to 10 years old, I'm going to guess, where my parents would be asleep upstairs and I would have gone downstairs into the living room. And I remember this so specifically where I cleaned up the living room one morning, I made menus for them, right? And set everything out. So when they came downstairs, that my hope and what ended up happening was that they would say, wow, you know, you're amazing. And (laughs) this is amazing. And wow, this is so special. And thank you so much, right? That I feel like the moments that we want to make happen in our lives are the ones that make us come alive. Right. We want to, uh, and, and, you know, I, I have, I live by a philosophy of, you know, what I call living life in the front row. And that just, that all that means is, uh, you know, it, it's a metaphor of getting close to what lights us up. Right. It's a metaphor of getting close to the people, places, things, and thoughts that make us come alive. And so I call those front row moments. Right. So that was a front row moment for me with my parents where they came downstairs. They're in my proximity. They're in my presence. They light up. I light up because I was a moment maker for them. And that's, you know, that's something that not until later in life, I looked back on my my decades on this planet and said, in my lifetime, where have I felt the most purpose and meaning and fulfillment? And largely it was those moments where I was in service of others, where I was making something, creating something, and I was experiencing the best of what humanity has to offer because I took an action. And that's what being a moment maker is all about. It could be very small moments, could be very big moments, but ultimately it's just making the most of our time. How has an awareness of what moments matter most to you impacted your ability to create more of those moments? 
Well, I think that, you know, oftentimes we're, we're looking back for clues in our lives. We're looking at the, the history of what happened and what can we learn from that. We're looking into the future to what compels us and pulls us forward about the dreams we want to live out. And when I was in my late 20s, I had achieved some level of success with this company that I was working with. And I felt great about the amount of money that I was making. And I was able to eat at restaurants and I was able to, you know, experience some of the things that I had sort of always wanted in my life. But after a while, I got to the place where I was like, man, there's got to be more to that, right? And what was missing was this contribution element. And what I started looking at was, how do I want to help others? How do I want to help other people? So that's when I started the exploration of looking back on my life. And I saw a pattern, you know, it has been said before, I think Jobs was most famous for this, about connecting the dots, looking back. And when I saw this, I saw where each step of the way, each time I experimented with something, I got a new job, I got a new position with a company, it led me closer and closer and closer to knowing that who I was in my heart was a moment maker. And that was the moment that I recognized that piece of it that I liked to create experiences for people. That's the moment we started Front Row Foundation. Mm -hmm. And for your audience, you may have mentioned this, you know, in in the beginning, but, um, you know, Front Row Foundation helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to get a front row experience at the event of their dreams. And then we teach them how to live every day in the front row. So imagine Make-A-Wish meets Tony Robbins. Yeah. It was, it was in the moment that, uh, you know, I remember being at a Jason Mraz show who I love Jason Mraz for the record, new, new albums coming out or is out <laughs> the song, have it all epic. If, if my son and I listened to it three times last night on the way back from the climbing gym, awesome song, lots of singing and dancing to that song. But I was at a Jason Mraz show and I was in the back row and I looked to the front and I remember seeing people fully engaged in the moment, fully coming alive, fully being there, experiencing the moment, creating the moment. And I, and I, and I looked at the people in the back row and I saw just a different energy. Now, yeah. not to pick on people, if you like being in the back, wonderful. This isn't a judgment. This was, a, this was an, an awareness yeah. of what was happening in that room. And what it looked like was that some people, same moment in time, drastically different experience from one person to another in that room. And, and, and that's what sparked this idea of the front row. That's what sparked this idea of like how we experience our moments in lives and, and in our lives. And so I started looking at my history. I started looking at what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to serve. And then boom, Front Row Foundation was created. And that was a total transformative decision of my life yeah. because it then shaped everything I've done since then. I have a couple questions, man. Um, one, for people who, I mean, you, you talk a lot about looking back on your life. Um, what about people who have gone through extraordinary pain? Yeah. Um, what if all of their moments have really been riddled in pain? How do you process that and transform that? Uh, how do you shift the mindset from looking at moments of pain into moments of growth or moments of of almost aha, like it seems like you've, you've almost cultivated this practice of viewing every experience in your life, um, with a sense of meaning. Yeah. And I'm just curious to see kind of how you go about doing that. Yeah. Well, and and this was what happened when we looked at all the people that we were helping with the charity. They taught me so much over the years. I have learned so much about living life from people who are fighting for it. 
And by the way, that's, I think that's worth saying again for, because that was a big revelation for all of us in our community was that how much we could learn about living life from people who are fighting for it. That's not something I expected in the beginning. It It was almost something that was like, wow, we have learned so much from these folks. And here's what I noticed that people use the power of their past to bring meaning and purpose to their present moment and to their future lives. They, they, you know, there's great stories that amplify this point about people that grew up in the same home, the same father, the same, you know, uh, same tragic situations at times in their lives. And two people will make drastically different choices about what it means. So I'm not the first one to say it. There's many people who have said it, but we're really meaning makers in life. We're, we mm-hmm. we attach that. Go. We choose that, right? It's it's not what happens to us. It's the choice we make about what that means. Now, I would agree that some stories seem more tragic than others. Some people have lives that are so, that the, the stories are so horrific, but there's always something to be taken from that, that can empower somebody to move forward. Like your mess becomes your message, right? <laughs> I your, like that. Your struggle becomes an opportunity of a new strategy. And so this idea of, of looking back on our lives and rewriting our story, because I used to tell myself a story about what my life meant. Now, my, my story is not filled with great tragedy compared to some that I would say really uh, are, are, are difficult to even hear the stories. I mean, mine was, and, and not to discount, it was very real for me at the time, but my point is I was short. I got picked on, you know, uh, and then I just came up with this like story of why, uh, why I was, a, why being a victim had held me back in my life. Like I would be further along if I wasn't so short in school or yeah. I would have been better if it weren't for this thing versus looking at all my moments as an empowering way. So what I noticed from our recipients was how they did that. And I'll give you an example of what I mean about being a meaning maker. And I think that we learn best through stories. So here's one that really grabbed my heart. And I wrote about this in the Front Row Factor book. So, um, th- and this is what we wrote the whole book about was what we learned from these individuals. Nikki. Yeah an amazing woman who was battling uh, stage four breast cancer, uh, came, somebody recommended her to our organization. She was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, grew up in the, the Dallas area and then moved away. We got wind of her story. We fell in love with Nikki. We wanted to create an event for her. And we did for her and her fiance, John. They came to Dallas. We took them to the game. And uh, we, we always videotape and document with photographs all of their experiences. Um, and it was in the limousine where we're on our way to dinner. And she was telling us a story about how sometimes people, when they see her, when she's going through her chemo and radiation and her hair might be gone and, you know, her yeah. she doesn't look the healthiest that, she's, that she can look, that... Um, Oftentimes people will look at her and she said they will look at her almost with a look of disgust. And when she said that, oh man, I got, I got angry. I was like, if I could get my hands on that person. (laughs) And I was actually filled with kind of this like anger, but, and, and, and then she paused and she goes, and, and, and that makes me happy. And I was like, wait a minute. That was the last thing I was expecting you to say, but tell me more. And she said, John, it makes me happy because if they're looking at me with disgust, they've got no context for my situation, which means they've never battled cancer themselves. And they certainly never had a family member, somebody they love battle cancer. Yeah. Because if they knew what, what, what this was like, they would never be looking at me that way. And I just thought how 
wonderful uh, it was to see somebody who you could easily say she'd be totally justified being angry about that person. But, you know, um, but the fact that she was able to give it that meaning to me is remarkable. Yeah. And so now whenever something happens, I just, you know, we always, we just give it a meeting. We always say, you don't always choose your seat in life, but you can always choose whether or not you want to have a front row experience. I love that, man. And uh, that's so, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's easy to forget. Um, but what I love most about the way you interpret meaning and, and, and the art of moment making is almost like it's, it's a continuous process. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at you. I mean, you, John, you're, you, you've accomplished a lot, man. I mean, how is your, how is your, your dedication to moment making allowed you to excel in your career? How has that connection been made? Cause you, I mean, you, you obviously have created a lot of fulfillment in your life, but yeah. how does that, how does that translate back to success and just, and just achievement yeah. in general? Well, this is about showing up. This is about like, so let's play with the metaphor of being in the front row, right? The yeah. best fans get the best show. You know, sometimes people challenge me. They're like, if you live life in the front row, you're still a spectator and you're not a participant. And I'd say, I totally get that. Like play the game, get on the field. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I think we actually underestimate the power of being on a sideline at times. Like where you play for a team. You can't always be the one on the court. Sometimes you have to let somebody else be the rock star. Sometimes you have to, that life is about cheering somebody on. Sometimes life is about shining the light. And the more that we shine the light, we lift others up, we elevate people, we give them a standing ovation. We, you know, the more we lift others, the more that they will, that they will want to lift you with their words and their, and their songs and their spirit. And, you know, so that's why it's a team thing. That's why it's, you know, when I want to look at it like this, like I want to look at it like my greatest accomplishments in life are that when I get to the end, I know that I poured into as many people as possible. I I run a dad's group called front row dads, amazing men, high performing entrepreneurial guys. Um, These are guys that you could argue are maybe doing better at fatherhood than anybody else, but yet they still want to take time out of their month to jump on calls and learn best practices. They still want to take time out of their year to retreat with us, to go to in immersion experiences for three days to learn how to be better dads. Yeah. And some of these guys, it looks like everything's going great. They've got no, you know, it's like they're in the season of life where things are just clicking along. And one of those guys uh, who's in our group, his name's Aaron. I remember when he said to me, he goes, John, you know, I thought for a moment about not coming to the retreat because things are going so well in my life. And I'm like, do I really need the retreat? And I thought, and then he goes, he said, he actually told his wife, he said, Hey, I'm thinking about not going to the retreat. And his was actually his wife who said, <laughs> are you crazy? Like that, you know, we know that family is a priority. Like this should be the very first thing you go to. And she said, sometimes when things are going great for you, you pour into other people because at times in life, life throws you a curveball. You want somebody who's standing by ready to pour into you. And so a lot of this is like social equity. Imagine a lot of this yeah. is it's, it's saying, I want to give so much while I can that if life presents me with a situation one day where I need a little help, isn't it awesome that you have been a fan for so many people that they can't wait to show up for you. We call this concept like who's in your front row? Who are the people that are there for you? Well, if you want to ensure that you have people that want to show up to your show, that want to cheer you on, that want to see you succeed on stage in life, well, 
you got to show up to a few front rows and cheer other people on, right? So whose front row are you in? If I surveyed the world and asked them, who are your eight most important relationships in life? Who's really there for you, lifting you up? How many lists would you show up on? And if I asked you to uh, make a list of your top eight people, would you know who they are? Would you be able to rank them in priority order? Would you know what their dreams and goals are in life? Because if we, can't det- if we can't tell each other, if we don't know, if we can't answer this to ourselves, who our eight most important relationships are in life and what their dreams or goals are, I think we need to go back and just evaluate our priorities of where we're spending our time. Wow. If you can tell me more about what happened on the celebrity's Instagram feed, than you can tell me about your best friend's dreams or goals. We've got a problem. That is extremely profound. Um, and oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's big, man. Um, because you're right. I mean, we spend so much time, at least right now. I mean, I, when I look around, I see everybody stuck in their phones and talking about the latest thing, but we don't spend as much time being front row fans. Uh, Of the people that matter most in our lives, which I think is such a lost. um, How how do you when somebody comes to you and they and they say that, what's the first thing you tell them? What do you what do you what do you tell somebody when they like what is usually the reaction? I guess that's my that's my like you work with a lot of different kinds of people and you experience a lot of people who are likely hearing messages like these and saying, oh, my God, I haven't done this before. What's the first step you would tell them to take? Well, in this particular concept of who's in your front row and whose front row are you in, it's, it's to make a list of your top eight relationships in life, rank them in priority order, and then to write down what their number one dream or goal is, either for the year or for life, whatever you want to do. I, I do one-year goals. You know, what's their number one goal for the year? And then I check in with them. Then I, I, I ask, like, what would it, what would it mean to you? You know, um, my, you know, it's one of my best friends, John Kane, right? It's like, what would it mean to you, John Kane, if I was your number one fan this year? What would that look like? How do you want to be supported? How can I help you to achieve that dream or goal? Right? What, is, what does, um, you know, a, a best friend in the world do that makes a difference for you? How does checking in look? Right. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, and so sometimes the answers are different for everybody. Sometimes you have to ask people how they want to be supported. And if they don't know, then anything is better than nothing. Yeah. Like for John and I, it's a real life example. We schedule time. We always make sure that there's, there's some date on the calendar where he and I are going to connect in some way, shape or form that there's always the next date. We call that the anticipation principle of like the fact that if you have a date scheduled, you actually don't only benefit just from the date that you'll be connecting with that person, but all the days and those moments leading up to it because you're now excited about it, right? And yeah. it's going to happen and it's future forward. It's future thinking, um, which is really, really cool. So that's what I would do. The step is make your list of eight, know what their dreams and goals are, and then create a plan for yourself that will help you to check in with them. Um, It might be just setting a reminder that reoccurs every 30 days and the reminder says, check in with my front row, right? Or yeah, check in on my top eight. That's it. I love it, man. That's, that's such an awesome message. And I'm, I'm I'm grateful to hear that because you're, I, I have people in my front row that I need to do that with. Of course, we all do. And, and you know, even as the, the founder of the Front Row Foundation and the author of the Front Row Factor book, I fail at this. I, I Sometimes I go, wait a minute, where's my list? Wait a minute, what are their dreams? And I'm like, wait a minute, I need to practice what I preach. Well, so I do, but I get off track like everybody. I make mistakes, I, I lose touch, and then I got to bring it back. How do you bring it back? And that's something I, I want to dive in next. I want to, 
how do you cultivate like a, is there a ritual that you follow on a daily basis that reminds you um, or brings you back to center on, on what you're working on and what's really important in life? Cause I usually, I mean, I'm off all victim to this all the time. I'll be really focused on one thing and a lot of things, I almost have tunnel vision and I forget yep. the big picture. Yeah. What are some well, things you do on a daily basis? To- you've got to have this planned in your life. You've got to have systems that operate uh, on your behalf. So in other words, like you need things on the calendar that might be recurring uh, appointments. Yeah. You need time uh, to, to plan, to think to put systems in place because you can't manage all this in your consciousness every day. Yeah. Like I need things that interrupt me uh, in the way that I want them to. I see it, it, the world is out there fighting tooth and nail to get your attention. They, there are so many chief marketing officers out there who are, <laughs> who are spending hours and hours to get you to think about what they want you to think about. What would it be like if you became the chief marketing officer for your life? right? Like let's say it's a job. Let's say you, it, your career was to market to yourself, to, <laughs> to, you know, to, to adjust your thinking and keep you on track. What would that look like? So for me, I mean, I could give you a hundred examples, but let me give you some of my favorites. One is being super intentional with my environment. Now I could go big picture and tell you why I moved my family to Austin, Texas a year and a half ago, because we literally wanted to be in a community, be in a space, be in an environment that made doing what we want to do more likely to happen or, and, and, and the qualities we want to remember in life, to exhibit in life, we had to ask ourselves, what environment nurtures that? If it, when it's inside my home, I'm hanging things up on the walls, I'm, I'm constantly designing and creating so that it forces me to do the things I want to do. Mm. Um, Sean uh, Acker, Aker, I'm sorry, Sean, if you're out there <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce your last name, but he was a, uh, a former Harvard professor and wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Um, yeah. And I'm guessing some of your audience has read that book. Mm-hmm. One of the things he talked about in that book was this experiment that he did with himself about where he took the guitar and he, he wasn't playing the guitar, but he wanted to play the guitar. And he thought, what if I just moved the guitar and just put it right in the middle of the living room or put it right where I walk and I have to pass the guitar. And the, the percentage of time that he spent playing the guitar because he literally put it in his way, in his space, right? Um, he called this the 22nd rule, right? And, and if something is, it's just so easy to access, we're more likely to do it. And so I shape my world so that what I want to do and what I need to do is easier to do. I, I know I have to do that for myself. If I take my clothes and I, uh, you know, my, my gym clothes and I put them in my car and I constantly keep a gym bag there, always with shoes and socks and shorts and all that stuff, I'm more likely to hit the gym or go for the run or do the thing. This is about shaping your environment. So this goes back to what we call the proximity principle, which is all about what's close to you. Um, Marketers want to get in your space, right? Uh, If if you want to date somebody, you want to get in their space. You need to be in their surroundings, right? There's a law of familiarity. How many times we see something, feel something, experience something, it becomes part of our DNA, right? It's easier to do. It's why my son has affirmations written on his bathroom mirror. Yeah. It's why our family contract is hanging in our living room. It's why the things that we want to experience in life, we shape our environment to do so. And we dig into a whole chapter in the Front Row Factor book about how you create and shape your environment. 
So that's, that's how I do it. I, I have rituals and routines and rhythms that in my life that cause me to do it from my morning routines, my evening routines, when things get turned on and off. Like right now I'm in this experiment where eight from 8 PM to 8 AM, zero technology, no phone, no computer, no TV, no nothing from 8 PM to 8 AM. I Shouldn't we be that. able to do that? Shouldn't we be able to live in a world where for half the day we <laughs> don't have to be a slave to our phone? Right? Yeah. So a lot of connecting is actually disconnecting. Right? Just talked to the, about this with a buddy of mine. It's a lot of, we have to look at it that way, that, that purposefully disconnecting, disengaging, so that we can engage in other things that are higher priorities. Vacations. That. You know, one of the first things you should put on your calendar? Your time. Free time family time, vacation time. Because if you don't, it's going to get eaten up by everything else. How does, how does scheduling all that time allow you to do more? Because, well, this is, look, we all have the same amount of uh, minutes and moments in a day, right? We don't know how many we get in our life. Um, but for me, uh, it's about making sure that the moments that I have are filled with intention when possible. Now, not all of my minutes and moments are filled with intention. A lot of times life seems like it's, it's happening to me, right? Um, my job then is to respond, not react, but to respond with presence, you know, with intention to what that means. For me, when I, when I plan my calendar, see my to-do list is a mile long, but my, but my calendar there's only so much stuff that I can put on the calendar. Right. I don't, I don't double book something. Now my, my to-do list is a hundred things, but when I look at my calendar, I go, how much time do I want? And my calendar is color coded. So I'm always saying, when I look at those colors, am I happy with what I see? See purple is family. Yellow is calls and speeches. Um, you know, there's, there's a uh, personal time. Yeah. How much, so what, what colors do I see on my calendar and what does that represent to my life? Am I happy with that? Do I want to make some changes? Sometimes I get so I say yes to so many things that I get overbooked. Yeah. So what I started doing is I don't schedule anything before 10 a.m. or after 4 p.m. I do not schedule anything on Fridays. And so what I've done is I've created these boundaries in my life. And the result of that, I'm I'm not, it's not a measure, it's not a game of how much more can I do than anybody else or whatever, because I know people that are doing more than me and how, how society might say success is like the productivity or the outward accomplishments. Yeah. But I'm looking for fulfillment of my own life because you know, the great equalizer, we're all going to die. Every <laughs> single person, we're all going to die. So it doesn't matter. Everybody out there, whatever accomplishments they have, whatever money they have at the end of this whole thing, everybody dies. So knowing that, knowing that death doesn't paralyze me, it inspires me because mm -hmm. I know that when I realize that this is finite, these minutes and moments are finite, I don't even know how many, it might end at the end of this call. I hope not. I hope it might end tomorrow. I hope not. But man, when I know that, when I have that, not, not a scarcity mindset. See, I have abundance and opportunity, but there is scarcity in time. And that time means this will end. That is, that is a fact. Now, you might bank on advancement in technology where you freeze your body and one day when you wake up, hey, maybe, uh, you might be right. Uh, but right now, it's all going to end for everybody. How do you balance the, the fear or like that idea that things are going to end with the practicality of what you need to do right now? 
Well, right. Because if somebody did tell me, I'm 100% sure, John, that this is going to end in a year. And I talked to my buddy, Jay Papazan, about this, who wrote the amazing book, The One Thing. And we were talking about the fact that, yeah, maybe if, if we knew that for sure, uh, we would just leave our jobs and go spend every waking minute with our families. Yeah. But recognizing the fact that it's likely not going to end next year, we probably do need to provide some financially to our families, <laughs> probably need to have a job and things like that. It, it does change things. But what I, what I hope to do is that if any, at any moment it was going to end, I'd like to believe that I'm happy with how I ended it in that moment. So that informs like not going to bed angry with somebody because I recognize that if, if for some reason, like if I'm leaving my house and I'm in an argument with my wife, um, I, I want to end that quickly. I want to go back and hug her and be like, I love you because if I get on that plane and it never lands, I want whatever my final words, my final moments, my final days to be like, I did exactly what I wanted to do knowing that at any moment it could end. So you know, that the idea is that let's all hope that we, that all of us live the longest, happiest, healthiest lives possible, but to be aware and to recognize that, uh, that at any moment, if it were to end, that you would be happy with how you chose to approach your life. I love that, man. That's such a, it's so much more empowering when you break things down into moments. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's much more in your control. Well, it's all, yeah, that's the only thing that you might be able to yep. control and not even the moment itself, but just your react, your, your response to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the responsibility piece. That's when like my, you know, one of my best friends, Hal always says, you know, the minute you take uh, responsibility for everything in your life is the minute you could change everything, anything in your life, because that's really what we're what responsible for is our response only. Mm. God, man, I want to give you a hug right now. Like <laughs> that was, uh, Anytime, buddy. Anytime. It's, it's, it's no, but it's, it's, I mean, everything you're saying right now just sums up this giant game of life into something that's so easily digested. Uh, I don't have to worry about anything except what's in front of me. And as long as I'm showing up in a way that allows me to maximize the moment that I'm experiencing, yeah, uh, I'm winning. And I'm living and in, in my front row. You're, you're totally right. And let me, let me give this slight visual for people that they might be able to play with. And that is that, um, you know, it, you, nobody lives their life per se completely in the present moment because our attention is teetering between what's coming next and what just happened. And we're kind of, imagine this pendulum swinging through the moment, if you will, right? And, and, and I think that's actually a good thing to know. I think it's a good thing to be able to balance in your life, hope for the future. What is it that, what are these images of the future, these visions that you're trying to bring into reality, uh, the vision of peace or harmony or um, uh, impact that you want to have in the world, right? These, these future moments. The key is it's not living in the future. It's actually utilizing the power of future visions mm. to create your present moment. In other words, I can envision the future and be experiencing that in the moment. I can also learn to look in the past and say, what's worked? What are the highlight moments of my life? And and how can I bring the power of the past into this moment to affect our future? I mean, that's actually one of the studies of human strengths in a system is the first thing you do is you look back. Organizations have to do this. Look back and say, what worked? Let's find yeah. out what did we do that worked and how do we do more of that? How do we amplify the good so we can silence what's not? 
How do we amplify the good? So we silence what's not, you know, uh, Peter Drucker, one of the greatest leadership experts has always talked about like the goal of a leader is to make the strength so important that the weaknesses become irrelevant. And, and so in our lives, we're looking back to celebrate the past in the present moment to give us power, use hope for the future in the moment to give us power to move forward. And then as we're doing that, we're acting in the moment, we're responding in the moment, we're living in the moment, we're experiencing, seeing, hearing, feeling in the moment, but understanding that it's okay that that pendulum is swinging into the future, into the past, and constantly through this moment. Dude, that is so perfect. So, I mean, God, I'm like blown away right now. Like with just that one concept of the pendulum. I mean, that breaks down affirmations and visualization into a whole nother dimension when you can fuel it into the past, like taking visualization and applying it backwards almost to bring it forward and then taking what you're experiencing now to bring even more of it from where you want to be. Yep. It's almost like you're... God, that's, that's, that is amazing. Uh, where did you learn this? Well, first of all, you know, I want to credit everybody, every moment, every person, every word I've ever heard, every experience. Um, so thank you universe and all of that, which is in it, because that's, what's helped me to, to learn, right? We, that's what kind of our responsibility as a human being, learn and teach, learn and teach, learn and teach. You know, I also want to bring attention to the fact that when we sat down to write the book about the front row foundation, the front yeah. row factor, which by the way, if you're out there listening, um, we, I, I just, I'd love for you to pick up a copy, check it out. Tell me what you think, because this is what it is. Everything you can learn about living life from people fighting for it. When we looked, I remember we were writing, doing all these interviews, writing down all that we were learning from these people. And the question became, what's the pattern? Mm. What's, the, what's the theme? Where, where are there similarities in the stories and the, what qualities or characteristics of these experiences are repeating themselves that regardless of age or, or race or gender, that, you know, that, that what is the thread what is the thread running through all of this? And what we determined when we looked at it was, oh my gosh, it's really simple. Kind of, we, we felt like we found the secret sauce to life, which was this, this balance of these three principles of hope, celebration, and living in the moment. Hope, celebration, and living in the moment. The power to bring the future into this moment, the power to bring the past into this moment, and then how to fully live and experience in the moment. Those three things if we can apply them in our lives, if we can have um, groups, communities, um, books, audios, your podcast, right? Yeah. In our ear, feeding us, reminding us, bringing us back into focus on what matters most. It's a practice. You don't learn this once and then you're just, you're a genius, right? Like it's, yep. this is a practice. That's why, that's why just like anything, whether it's, you know, uh, just like a muscle, right? This is an emotional muscle that we're working on developing. This is, you know, this is simply reminding ourselves. I always say personal growth isn't always about learning something new, which we often get attracted to that, right? Like, oh, I haven't never heard that. That's awesome. Love that. I do too. Personal growth isn't always about learning something new. It's often about remembering something true, Personal growth isn't always about learning something new. It's about remembering something true. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of what's important in my life is not that I get more information. I got information out the wazoo. I need to be reminded of what's true in my life, my, my core values, my core principles, things I might have learned as a child that I sometimes lose track of because of all those chief marketing officers that are trying to get my attention. <laughs> right? I get it. That's it. John, um, well, you... I was going to say that plus like 10 X about John's book, but since you already did that, I'm going to, I'm going to move on to uh, a question that has been burning in my mind uh, since you just mentioned it two seconds ago, man. Um, how do you feel teaching this message has made you a better recipient of it? Well, listen, anytime that we teach something, we're probably going to go deeper into that message. So for me, I I remember being blown away and I shouldn't be shocked, but I was shocked still blown away at how much more clearly I could articulate all of this after writing the book. Um, If you want to really learn something, you've got to teach it. And when you teach it, it forces you to embody this and to own this in a new way. Um, that, That I think most teachers would agree. That, that you you do evolve as a person the minute you start articulating it outwardly, clearly, in a way that lands with people. So I love that idea. And, and, if, and then whatever I know now, 20 years from now, I'll probably look back on this and go, wow, uh, if I only knew <laughs> now back then, you know, type of, I realize I'm constantly evolving, constantly evolving. So teaching yeah, you, you embody it at a deeper level. Everybody has something to share. I remember hearing Kevin Spacey, uh, anybody doesn't know that name, just a really great Art actor. Yeah. yeah, really great actor. I remember hearing him in a speech one time say that he believes that when you achieve some level of success to send the elevator back down. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're 10, there's a seven-year-old looking up to you. If you're 15, there's a, there's a 12-year-old looking up to you. If you're, and, and it's not always about age, by the way. Oftentimes it's about whatever experience you have, somebody else is looking up to you. Because you can, I look up to many 10, 20, and 30-year-olds, even though I'm in my 40s. Right. So, so the idea is you, you are not here for everyone. Let's be clear about that. Right. You're not everyone's teacher. You're not everyone's guru. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to praise you. You're not here for everyone, but you are here for someone. Right. You are here for someone. And so I think that when we value the idea of learning and expanding ourselves and then sharing that with people. We have, we have tapped into principles of life that are detrimental to ignore if you did. So teaching, it makes me feel more human. Teaching makes me feel more alive. Teaching informs how I learn. If, if I have people that are counting on me to share something with them, I need to go back and learn. Like running front row dads as a leader of this community of men who are these high performers, who are fathers, who are, as we say, family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. I'm forced to learn. I'm forced to become a better version of myself because I've got these guys holding me accountable. I love that. Yeah. Right? So put yourself in positions to teach. Just ask yourself in, in what way, in the smallest of ways, just do something. John, uh, man, I love you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> love you too, man. Love you too. Awesome. Um, I think, I mean, everything you've shared has been 
So amazing. Uh, and I want to wrap it up with one final question Yep. that, uh, that brings everything that you've talked about, everything you've been through really down into uh, one concept, which is in the midst of everything you've done uh, to date, everything you've been through, everything you continue to teach and, and everything you, you live to inspire, how do you stay grounded on a daily basis? How do I stay grounded? Um, it's a good question. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of answers I want to give to that. Um, but one of the biggest is breath. You know, the way to stay grounded is breath. Long, deep, slow breaths that, you know, it, 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 I learned it on the yoga mat, right? It's always coming back to the breath because breath is the moment, right? Breath is a series of in and out, right? This, I breathe in, I let go. And that's really what life is, right? It's what we take in. It's what comes out. It's the, I think it's, it's a, it's a core uh, of our being present is to take a breath. When I want to say something in response with anger or rage, if I take a breath and give myself a little space, I usually respond differently. Yeah. Uh, if I give myself the gift of breath, I give myself the gift of oxygen, you know, um, fuels my, my body fuels, fuels my moments in a way that, uh, very hard to get much more grounded than coming to that place of life. So I think that's it. I think it, there's a, there's a, and again, all answers, thousands of ways, yeah. there's probably thousands of ways I can come back to the moment. But it, at its core, it's really coming back to your breath. It sounds that, simple, man. but it's profound. I mean, almost every you know, keep, keep it simple, stupid is yeah. uh, is a is a big mantra of mine. So I, man, John, uh, ladies and gentlemen, John Roman, um, I uh, I just want to take a moment, man, uh, to just say how grateful I am for you just dropping all these bombs on the show. Wow. Um, we're gonna, we're all gonna come and support you in, in your book and, and everything you're working on. Um, so for everybody who's interested in, in John's book, learning more about John, John, how can, how can people learn more about your world? We're obviously give them a ton of these resources, but sure. your own mouth, man. Well, uh, you know, the book's on Amazon. Uh, yeah. I'd love for you to check it out. And if you do check it out, um, I'd love to hear what you think. So please share your, your feedback with me. Um, either shoot me an email or, or write a review or whatever feels good to you. But I'd love to see. I want to know the impact that it's having that makes me, uh, that really makes me come alive. I'd also uh, just say frontrowfactor.com has everything. You want to learn more about the charity, uh, Front Row Dads, uh, you know, our podcast that we have. We have the Front Row Factor podcast, which is, um, you know, the, the basis of that is everything you can learn about living life for people fighting for it and the Front Row Dads podcast. So yeah. for, for men who want to be epic family men, husbands and fathers, that's, those are the ways to connect. I love it, man. Well, John, uh, again, man, thank you so much for, uh, for being here and being with us. Uh, everybody, that is a wrap for this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. Here's your friend, John. And from us, until next time, stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast brought to you by Java Press Coffee Company. My name is Raj. 
And I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.